0: Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. We have Bibles on the tables in the vestibule. You're welcome to grab one now or grab one on your way out, but that is our gift to you. Uh, But our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, I've been to Rwanda. Um, Like Reed, uh, he's been there as well. We've stood outside the same mass graves. That's like one burial plot, 250,000. And just 25 years ago, like not ancient history. Um, Church, sin is not a theory. Or I even even think about the the recent stuff this last month at various churches, mosques, synagogues around our world, right? The attacks that have happened. I mean, Unbelievable brutality. Sin is not a theory. And for those of you who have been sinned against, I mean, truly sinned against, abuse, shame, words from someone else that continue to haunt you, a betrayal, you know sin is not a theory. I mean, if you doubt it, just ask Detective Thompson, right? Hmm. I mean, maybe on a, a lighter note, got flipped off last week, <laughs> twice actually, uh, but it was by the same person, so I kind of feel like it counts as once, uh, and no, it wasn't Reed, for some of you who are wondering. Um, I, I, the, first, the first time, I was innocent. The second time, I totally had it coming. Um, I was driving on K10. You know where it goes down to one lane, right? That one spot where everybody... Everybody loses their mind, you know what I'm talking about? Like everybody, like, it's, I, like my wife, she's like the sweetest person I know. She lost her soul there last week. If you see it, let me know. Cause I mean, it was out of control, right? It's just like, it's terrible. And so, you know, so I got flipped off and you know, occasionally when that happens, I just, I kind of prefer to take it like a champ. So I like, like deep eye contact in those moments. I just want to like, like, you know, whatever. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that and, and I could see it in this person's eyes Like a nice, like normal looking individual. I mean, she didn't look like a villain. In fact, she looked like any of you. I mean, actually is, yeah, that would be, that'd be fun for both of us. I mean, maybe you're here, I don't know, right? So we all drive on that road. So, you know, I'm on there and I I look at her and I could could see it in her eyes. Like she just, she wanted to murder me. And so I just, you know, as she drove by, (laughs) Just big smile and wave. And not because I'm a nice guy, right? But because like, I wanted to see how far I could stir her. Ra- like I wanted to push her over the edge of absolute rage. Because I kind of wanted to murder her too, OK? And so hence the, the second time right, when she flipped me off. And I know like some of you are like, OK, big deal. like We've all been there. We know those, those stories. But listen, like, like, there was all kinds of stuff happening inside me in that moment. and I. You know, those, those moments, like, give you a glimpse of what's really in here. I did not like what I saw. Like, there, there is a beast inside of me. Like, there's anger, and there is rage. And I can tell you, like, friends, my sin is not a theory. And maybe, maybe for some of you, like, like, yeah, okay, I'm not, but I'm not so bad, right? But listen... You might think that, but you can't even keep your own rules, more or less God's. Like, I mean, how many times have you said, this is the last time, or I'll never do it again, right? Just just one more drink, you lose your temper just one more time, one more click, one more delicious piece of gossip spread, or angry post on Facebook. Yeah, but it's the last time, I promise. I'll never do that again. Just one more. I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm in control. I mean, if you're in control, then just stop. Just stop sinning for a while. And let me know how that works out for you. Because your sin is not a theory. So Cain and Abel Genesis 4, turn there if you haven't already. Because we, we see that on display in this, in this story. I mean, just think about this. Like, if you've been with us, this last, like, we were, like, last week we were in the Garden of Eden, right? And it got ugly there, but, like, we were just there. And this week, the first person born becomes the first murderer. The first person to die is murdered. I mean, sin entered the world like five minutes ago, and already human number three murders human number four. It gets, it gets dark pretty quick in this story. And, and you, can't, you can't miss what this story is trying to teach us, right? Even the, even the context. Like, and if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you, like, you already know that this is true, I think. And if you take just one thing with you this morning, I hope it's this, your sin is not a theory. It is a monster seeking to destroy you. Like If you just remember one thing, like that's it, okay? Your sin, my sin, our sin, it is not theoretical. It will do anything to take everything from you and from me, and it will not rest until it's done so. I mean, again, like, we were just in the garden, and in the next story, I mean, it's like the author, Moses, right? He's wanting to show us, like, it was not just a piece of fruit. It wasn't, it wasn't a mild refraction, a tiny bit of rebellion. It wasn't just a theory. It comes with deep ramifications. It was war. And we will see how dark it gets. Okay, so let's, let's look at this story, because, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they leave the garden. I mean, they're, you know... It's a nice way of saying it. They're, they're kicked out of the garden. Uh, and they have, they have two sons, okay? Uh, and so Cain is the oldest. He's a, uh, he's a farmer. Uh, Abel is the youngest, and he's a shepherd. And we know, we know nothing of their upbringing. Well, I can't help but wondering, wonder if there's like warning signs, you know, or if they're just for like my kids, um, which, you know, fight all the time. So who knows? Don't know. Um, but they're adults now, okay? Already, like the stories move forward that quickly. And they each bring an offering to God. Which seems weird to us, right? But culturally, that just makes sense, okay? And, and so Abel, the shepherd, brings God a firstborn sheep, like the best of his flock, right? And Cain, the farmer, scrounges together some stuff that he grew out of the ground, right? That's his work. That's what he does. And he, and he also brings it to God. And Abel's offering is accepted. And Cain's is not, now, scholars talk about all kinds of theories of why one is accepting and one's not. We don't really, we don't really know, right? Um, and yet, I, I tend to think it's because Abel's offering was done from a position of, of faith. It wasn't necessarily about what he brought, but he wanted to, to honor God. He wanted to bring God his best. It came out of a position of faith. In fact, it says in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So, I don't think it was his offering, but his faith, And by contrast, God also knows Cain's heart, and it's not great. Like he he knows where his actions are leading him, and it is anything but faith. So back in chapter four of Genesis, verse five, at this rejection, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And so he's, he's ashamed, He's envious, and he is enraged. I mean, church, watch your anger. Know your anger. Like Know what what makes you angry and where your anger wants to take you because it's not pretty, right? And every one of us is... I mean, anger makes you lose your mind, doesn't it? Instead, instead of going where your anger wants to take you, bring your anger to God. He can handle it and he wants to help you in it. And like we see that here, right? Cuz cuz God interjects himself immediately into this story like to this enraged Cain, like verse 6, God comes to him and the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you so angry? Why why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I mean, God is so gracious here, right? Uh, coming to Cain in the midst of his rage, like Cain, God is like, hey, hey, Cain, hey, buddy, um, you know your offering was terrible, right? And, and not not because I don't like vegetables. I mean, that's that's not it. It's like it's because you, your heart. It's like. Do you see where it's taking you, Cain? I mean, God is like almost pleading with him. Do you see where your sin is dragging you? It doesn't have to be this way. But it is crouching at your door. That's that's the first observation this morning from this this story for me. It feels feels pretty clear as as I read and study this text that sin is crouching at our door for all of us. And that's, that's not often how we think of sin, right? In this sort of almost personified way that it's, it's there, it's, it's ready to just leap and attack any of us at a moment. So we don't typically think of it like that, that way. And yet last week and today, I mean, God shows us like there's, there's real evil in our world that is seeking to destroy us. And you, know, you may not believe it, but don't you, don't you ever get that sense in the moment of like really terrible tragedy or really like, Powerful temptation. Don't you ever get the sense that something is just laughing at us, just out there mocking us, like pushing us into these things? I mean, even even go back to the the Rwandan genocide. Uh, Romeo Dallaire, he was uh, commander of the UN peacekeepers stationed there. He wrote a book, Um, and he was he was commanded uh, to do nothing um, by the UN. He just he just I mean, he literally just watched as the destruction happened. And afterwards, he was asked how he, if he could possibly believe in a God. Listen to what he says. It's shocking. He says, I know there is a God, because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him, I have smelled him, and I have touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore, I know there is a God. Yikes. And maybe, maybe on a smaller scale, but like have you, have, have you ever felt like your temptations, like can you know what they are, right? The things that keep tripping you up, the things that are, are true of you that you wish were not there, those temptations, do you ever feel like they were made just for you? They are. Because the, the evil one knows your shame. He, he knows your baggage, your insecurities, your pride. He knows where you go for relief. And he knows where it hurts the most. And he just pokes and pokes. I'm sure you and I, we may not go the way of Cain anytime soon. But listen, I am convinced each one of us here, we are are only a few bad decisions away from complete self-destruction and a lifetime of regret. Let me say that again. Like, you and I, like, only a few bad decisions, you and I. And we're at a lifetime of utter ruin and regret. Because sin is just crouching at our door. Have you seen the show, The Hunt? It's one of our new favorites. You kind of get the idea, right? It's great. It's a lot of fun unless you're the hunted, right? Friend, you are the hunted. Right now, sin is crouching at your door and mine. And when it pounces, let me just go back to the story, right? You know know where this is going, right? So go, so go back again. Like, remember, God, God has warned Cain, right? He said, Cain, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, don't do this. And so Cain, ignoring everything that God just said, and the story sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, this is us, isn't it? He ignores it, and he convinces Abel to join him in the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What was it like for Adam and Eve to hear the news? You shall not surely die, the snake said. I bet at this moment they wish they had. Because they know, like it's, they're the ones who unleash this upon their own children, upon all of us. Like, they see in the moment the cost of their rebellion as their son takes the life of the other. I mean, it's the first funeral. I mean, Adam and Eve learned very quickly, very painfully, that sin is not a theory. And then the Lord said to Cain, again, these questions, just like last week, it's God continuing, like, giving him every chance, like, come clean, you can, because God knows the answers. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You can almost hear God. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Sin is crouching at our door, and I know I know this sounds extreme. And I know if we're honest we don't really believe it, at least not most of the time. But here here's the second observation. Sin wants to murder everything good in your life. Like we, we go we go to those things, whatever, because we think we're just gonna make our life better, right? Or whatever, we, we like sin, right? Because it's, it's giving us something, and yet at the end of the day, it wants to murder everything good in your life. And nobody, like nobody plans it this way, right? You don't, you don't plan to end up in someone else's bed. You don't plan to shame your kids into despair. You don't plan to build your life around hollow success or, or alienate every friendship because of gossip, No one plans to control their relationships to the point of suffocation, but we do. And some of us are on those paths right now. Because all of those things, like those started with patterns that we developed years ago for many of us. Like slow and steady habits where it's like, I'm not not hurting anybody, it's not a big deal, it's just fun you will hurt someone because our sin shapes us and then it alienates us and then it destroys the people we love and then it destroys us. And yet I try to make a pet of my sin. Like the favorite ones, you know, try to tame it. I'm I'm sort of like the crazy person who gets a pet python who does that? Did you see this, this study or this, uh, this article a couple weeks ago? I guarantee whoever bought that and eventually released it in Big Cypress. Like, it wasn't 17 feet long when they got it, right? It was small. It was tame. Like, you know, they were in control. It's no big deal. It's fine, right? I'm safe. This is what we do, isn't it? I'm in charge, and you don't even realize that it's growing inside you. Getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet you still, you still pet it, play with it, cuddle it, or whatever people do with pet snakes. I don't know. That's just weird to me. Um, and, then, and then like one day, like you wake up and it's literally trying to choke the life out of you, right? What's your pet sin? It's harmless. It's small. It's not going to hurt anybody. This is what we do. And worst, worst of all, look at verse 16. It's like the ultimate statement of judgment. It's subtle here, but listen to, to like then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. I mean, he went from having like this sort of face-to-face or whatever kind of conversation with him. He goes away and he settles in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And what the author's doing there is they keep getting farther away from home, farther away from paradise, farther from God, farther from love, farther from goodness farther from his presence and it just keeps getting uglier. I mean, it's like the fall all over again and the reality is it's not just ancient. Like, this is, this is us. This is our story. It's, it keeps happening. And so what do we, what do, we do? Well, what did, what did God tell Cain to do? Look again at verse 7. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Church, you must rule over it. And this, this leads to the last observation here. We have got to kill sin before it kills us. Like you, you've, got, you've got to kill your sin before it takes everything from you. Before it takes way more than you ever signed up to give it. Because because yes, I mean, the reality, like, for all of us, okay, I think we can agree, I think, maybe, like, sin is, it's it's serious, it's crouching at our door, and yet the reality is, for some of us here, it is, it's not just crouched at your door, you are trapped in its teeth. And even now, it is squeezing the life out of you, and the people that you love the most. And, And yet, like, I know us, right, or at least me. Like, so many of us are thinking right now, okay, all right, I'm going to get serious about this, okay? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try harder. Uh, here, here's what I'll do, Nathan. Here's my plan. I'm going to stop sinning, right? That's what we do. We, we, I mean, we say, we think we can, and it's like we're watching that, uh, that show with the, the antelope, right? And we're just, like, screaming at the television to the antelope, run faster. And, you know, if the antelope could look at the TV and be like... Oh really, you think that's a good idea? I should just run faster? I mean, that's what we do though, we think we could just, well I'll just try harder, I'll just be a better Christian, right? I'll just stop sinning. The reality is church, like trying harder makes failures of us all. Let me instead offer three quick bits of application. First, if you wanna kill the monster, you've gotta train to fight the monster. You can't just run faster tomorrow, but you can train to run faster. You can't just stop sinning, but you can train to stop sinning. I know, we say this all the time, and it always feels so churchy, but this is a church, and I am a pastor, so I guess deal with it. I don't know. Um, and, I, and I believe that it's true. Like, the reality is with this, like, if you, if you hate your sin and you really want to stop but aren't engaged in the spiritual disciplines... Like you're, just, you're kidding yourself, because this is how we train. And so, for example, if you're controlled by fear, but never pray. If you're consumed with anger, but never spend time in solitude. If you're overcome with, with lust and greed, but never fast, like never deny yourself anything. I mean, if you're obsessed with the opinions of others, but never read the scriptures to see what God says about you. If, that, if that's you, like you're going to be eaten. And, th- and th- these, aren't, these aren't quick fixes, right? They're not going to be instant for you, but if you want to change, you need to start and end your day with prayer. You need to build into your day moments of quiet reflection so you can do business with yourself, and God can do business on you. You need to read your Bible daily, you need to practice self-denial and service, even if you don't have to. You need to train to fight the monster. And part of that is you need to be in church. Like you need to surround yourself with people who can help you. If you're here last week, right, remember one of the things we said is that shame is behind every sin. And one of the one of the best antidotes to sin, just shame, is community, vulnerability, confession. Which leads to the second thing. If you want to kill your sin, be your brother's keeper. Be your sister's keeper. And this is so contrary to our culture, isn't it? Because the only rule we have is do no harm, right? And certainly don't tell anybody what to do, right? But the reality is, like, if you really believe sin is a monster trying to eat us, we wouldn't just fight. We would fight together and for each other. Because when you sin, you hurt the people sitting around you. We don't often acknowledge that, right, because we live in such an individual, individualized culture, but the reality is my sin affects you and your sin affects me, right, because we're shaped by our sins and we're meant to be in community with one another. There is no, like, isolated sin. But when we help each other fight, we're more likely to find victory. And so when, when is the last time you confessed your sin, like, even the really ugly ones, to somebody that you trust? and enlisted them in the battle with you. When we do that, sin loses some of its power. And finally, ultimately, if you believe sin is a monster, you have to let Jesus speak a better word. Let Jesus speak a better word. Because just as Abel's blood cries out to God, did you see that in the text? like, like God can hear his blood crying out and it cries out judgment, condemnation. Right? And and, and it, it, that's that's right, it should. And and the reality is like it cries out judgment against us as well, because we are not that different from Cain. Yeah, according to Hebrews in the New Testament, there's another person's blood, also innocent, also murder, murdered, whose blood also cries out. And yet, instead of judgment, Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness, victory, hope. It says in Hebrews 12, where it speaks a better word than the word of Abel. Ultimately, he is the one who has to battle the monster. And the only way he can defeat the evil within us without destroying us, because it's there, right? You can't just separate all the bad people away. It's like it's in me, right? And the only way God can defeat that evil that lives inside me is through the cross. That he took upon himself all of his guilt and shame, everything that I have done wrong, every, every good that I didn't do. And He suffered in my place. And now he speaks a better word over us, that you are loved, you are precious, you are forgiven. And when we learn to hear that voice, sin begins to lose its power. Sin is not a theory, but neither is Jesus' victory over sin. For the same power that raised him from the dead, that same Holy Spirit lives within all who believe, empowering us, and we can join the fight. Kind of reminds me of a, of a camping trip we did a couple years ago. We um, were in the Black Hills of, of South Dakota. Uh, it was two years ago, it was beautiful, just a beautiful place. Um, and we had, just, we had just gotten there. We were planning on staying two nights, and we're unloading everything. We're making camp. And the camp host comes by. Um, so somebody, you know, if you don't camp, somebody who kind of like oversees the camp. He comes by uh, and just started to make small talk. And then, like, I thought he was kidding at first. But he started talking about this mountain lion that, and I'm not exaggerating, this is basically a quote, that likes hanging out in your campsite. Not in the park, not in the campground, in your campsite. And he's like, you know, we haven't had an attack here in like three or four years. Um, But, you know, if you see it, all you got to do is just make yourself really big, right? And then he like looked around, saw we have kids, like, oh, and I'd keep your kids pretty close. Um, And it's like, what? And, And then... Like, as if that wasn't enough. And then he said, actually, I'm not, I'm not making this up. He said, the people who, were, who stayed in this campsite last said that the entire night, the lion just kept rubbing up against the side of their tent. Just rubbing his body against their warm bodies inside the tent through that millimeter fabric with just a sort of a light growl the whole time. He took off, you know, and I I look back and like, like Kelly is standing just within earshot of the whole thing, Um, and so like I'm I'm panicking, but she's really panicking, so I gotta fake it, you know, and I'm like, nobody's afraid of mountain lions, it's fine, you know, said nobody ever, Um, and we gave it we gave it one night, and it was awful. Like we didn't, we didn't sleep at all, uh, or hardly at all. I mean, I laid there with a stick next to the bed because that's going to help, right? Every noise would freak us out. I mean, I'm just imagining all kinds of like, horrible, terrible things. And the moment it got light, we packed up everything, we left early, and we were, got out of there as if it was an inch behind us. I mean, we were, we were gone, and we were not going back, okay? And the reality is, like, if only, if only I took my own sin so seriously right? We just don't think it's that harmless. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to hurt us. I mean, I, I love nature, and I love the theory of mountain lions, but there's no way. And what you and I do instead is we try to manage our sin so it doesn't get too bad, we try to live at peace with it. We hide it. We try to justify it. We save our, try to save ourselves from it, or we just snuggle up with it. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> the mountain lion rubbing against the tent. Church, what are we thinking? Have we, have we truly learned nothing since Cain? Fight. Train. Join others and run to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to hate our sin? Would you help us to see what our sin is doing? How it's shaping us? How we're we're becoming a certain kind of person by the habits that control us? and the way it can wreak havoc on the people we love the most. God, I pray that we would see our sin and hate it, and that you'd give us the power through your Spirit at work within all who believe, and we we praise you for that Spirit. Empower us to say no to our sins, to put put it to death, and to instead find joy and life living the way that you created us to be. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that even when we fail and we will, that there is so much more forgiveness. That our sins are many, but Your mercy is more. We pray that in Christ's name, Amen. I'm convinced that no matter what you believe, um, those are questions that all of us ask. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? And if you don't have Jesus, where are you going for answers to those questions? Because you're looking somewhere, and only he has the hope that you need. And for those of you, maybe, maybe you are a Christian, but you feel, yeah, it's not just at your door, you feel clenched in its teeth. There is hope for you. God's Spirit, if you're, if you're, if you're with him, is, is inside you, longing to empower you, and you have a community of people around you that no matter what it is that you're carrying, no matter what sin you are burdened by, we want to help you, we want to encourage you, we want to help you get out of, out of its clutches. So let, let us know, let us, let us into that so we can walk with you, we can help you, encourage you, provide resources for you. Um, don't, don't fight alone. I know this is heavy stuff um, this morning, right? And these, frankly, uh, this part of Genesis, you know, right after the fall, it just kinda gets worse. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, so um, I think mean, come back next week There's there's always hope as well, but you know you got to get through the ugly stuff first. So, Um, yeah, as we as we go this this morning, uh, first of all, again, if you're new, we have the newcomer coffee. Hope you go to that. Uh, But as we as we leave this place from being the church gathered to the church scattered, um, as we enter our Monday lives, all of us feeling the weight of these things, like hear hear these words from the apostle Peter, uh, and may they be true of us. He says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. And the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.